Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of What the Bump. Today I am doing kind of like a re-recording slash slight update to episode 25 of the podcast, which aired in I believe like August of 2020. And that podcast was about how to induce labor naturally. So we are gonna kind of re-record that podcast, give a little bit of updates to how to induce labor naturally. So let's just jump right in. First and foremost, I said this in the last podcast, I say this in my how to induce labor guide, but do not attempt any of this stuff sooner than being 40 weeks gestation or at least consulting with your doctor. If you're 38 weeks and you consult with your doctor and they give you the go ahead for some of these methods to try out, go right ahead. But definitely either wait to 40 weeks or consult with your physician. And a lot of these methods of induction, inducing labor that we're going to talk about are really not proven. There's not a ton of like scientific evidence to back them, but a lot of women have tried these methods and have gone into labor and have sworn by them and say that they work or, you know, it's kind of hard to know if maybe it was just time for labor to start. But anyways, these are definitely methods that are pretty popular and honestly really low intervention and easy to do if you're getting close to that 40 week mark and you don't want to have a medical induction. The first thing and the easiest thing is of course exercising, getting moving, not It doesn't necessarily induce labor, but it does get your body ready for labor. It can help to reduce oxytocin, which is obviously the labor hormone that fuels labor and gravity of exercising and moving and getting into different positions can also help move baby lower down into your pelvis. Number two is sex. Sex is a great way to induce labor. Sexual activity, having an orgasm, all those things release oxytocin like we just talked about with exercise. And this can help jumpstart uterine contractions. There are also prostaglandin hormones in semen that might help ripen the cervix. And if your water breaks, this is not recommended to help bring on contractions or anything like that just because if your water is broken, you do not want to be putting anything up the vagina because you do not want to be spreading any type of bacteria into the vagina and up into the uterus. But if your water is intact, you are trying to induce labor, sex is a great way to do it. Next is nipple stimulation. Just like sex and exercise, nipple stimulation releases oxytocin and it increases oxytocin production, which also can help to start the uterus to contract. And obviously nipple stimulation can make the breasts also produce some colostrum if you do it towards the end of your pregnancy. That can be totally normal. Don't let it freak you out or scare you. And with nipple stimulation, you can do this manually, either like with your hands doing um, hand expression, or you can use a breast pump and actually just use that to stimulate your nipples. Spicy food is another way to induce labor. Spicy food works to more so irritate the intestines in a gentle way. And this can also just kind of cause some contractions. Honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of the whole like spicy food induction tip. I just don't feel like it works that well. I feel like more so gives people stomach aches, but many doctors advise against trying spicy food because like I just said, it really can just cause an upset stomach. There's really not evidence that spicy foods do anything to actually bring on labor like they don't increase oxytocin. They don't necessarily cause uterine contractions. It's more so thought to possibly irritate your intestines and maybe bring on some contractions. If you can tolerate spicy food well, if you like spicy food, 
then go, you know, go ahead and try it. <laughs> Just remember that it might bring on more heartburn than labor necessarily. But this is why if you ever go to like restaurants or you go on Instagram, people will be like, oh, an in induction pizza or I, I don't know. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's a pizza place here that has a pizza, I believe called the inducer. And a lot of people actually say that it's made them go into labor, but I think it's literally just like a Buffalo pizza. I've never had it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's just like a Buffalo pizza that is spicy and that's really it. I don't know. I don't know its percentage of success rate, but spicy food is definitely something that you can try. Next up is pineapple. Pineapple isn't necessarily used at all to induce labor, but more so to it's thought to kind of ripen the cervix. Pineapple is loaded with an enzyme called <laughs> bromelain. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N. And this is thought to help with cervical ripening. So there used to be like an old stigma thought that like pregnant women couldn't eat too much pineapple because it would you know cause a miscarriage and things like that that's definitely not true there is not enough of this enzyme in it to do that but eating pineapple is thought to produce an enzyme that can help to ripen or soften the cervix for labor so if you are you know getting closer to the end I definitely don't think it would hurt to add a little bit of pineapple into your diet acupuncture and acupressure are another way to induce labor in chinese medicine it is believed that acupressure and acupuncture balance the vital energy within the body acupuncture also can definitely stimulate some hormones and oxytocin to be released and now i just want to mind you also this should only be done by like a licensed professional acupuncturist and if you're doing it for the purpose of labor i would definitely go to somebody who specializes in doing acupuncture for labor induction if you don't like the idea of tiny needles, which is essentially what acupuncture is, you can try acupressure, which is more so like, I believe it's more so massage on certain points in your body to try to help bring about labor. Number seven, the seventh way to naturally induce labor is going to be dates. And this is my favorite way to induce labor. I probably should have made it number one, but honestly, number one, I think they really taste good. I recommend the Mahoji dates. You can buy them at the grocery, normally in the produce section. I buy the ones that still have the pits in them because I just kind of feel like they stay fresh longer. I keep them in the fridge and I just eat these on a basis, by the way. I'm definitely not trying to induce labor. I'm 20 weeks, but anyways, um, I keep them in the fridge. You can pull out the date or pull out the, the core, the pit of it. And you can do tons of different things. They kind of honestly remind me of the taste of like caramel. But a lot of people will just throw a couple of them in a shake. Um, some people will put some peanut butter like where the where the pit was. Stuff it with like peanut butter and then freeze them. And they are delicious when you do it like that. But there are tons of ways to eat them. They are sweet. They kind of look like a giant raisin. Like a giant sweet raisin is the best way to describe them. But studies have backed this method of natural labor induction many, many times. Studies show that when you eat around seven dates a day, starting at about 36 to 37 weeks and beyond that, of course, it increases cervical ripening and cervical dilation at the start of labor. Studies also showed that eating dates starting at 36 to 37 weeks could decrease the need for Pitocin augmentation during labor. Pitocin is the synthetic form of oxytocin that we can also give IV during labor to help contractions just kind of become stronger, closer together, and just kind of speed up labor. Date fruit 
and this is notes from this study that I pulled, but date fruit contains 13 vital substances and five kinds of vitamins, fatty acids, and sugars. The fruit is rich in minerals and it's recommended for pregnant women who need energizing and nutritious foods. It also influences estrogen and progesterone hormones, which are proven to be effective in preparing the uterus for cervical ripening. So there you have it. My favorite induction way, definitely dates. I know a lot of people will start them earlier than 36 weeks. I don't think it would probably hurt to start around like 34 or 35 if you wanted. Biggest thing to keep in mind with this and I tell people this also anytime I recommend dates is that it is a lot of sugar. Like I said, they're kind of like a mega raisin. So they really are honestly pure carbs. Now, like I said, they have vital substances, a bunch of vitamins, fatty acids, and of course sugars. So if you have gestational diabetes, I truly would not recommend this for you. Seven dates a day is a lot of carbs. It's a lot of sugar and it's just probably not going to help your blood sugar levels, especially when you're doing it every day from 36 weeks on. So gestational diabetes, consult with your practitioner for sure before doing this. I don't recommend it, but just keep in mind the, the sugar content in seven dates. And I know some people will space them out, you know, maybe do a shake in the morning with three of them and then maybe like a shake in the evening with four of them or maybe they'll just eat like four or five of them throughout the day and then have a shake with a couple in it in the morning or the evening. That's definitely the best thing. I think seven dates in one sitting is kind of like a shock to your body because it's just a lot of food and a lot of sugar. So definitely you can space them out throughout the day to kind of minimize that effect. But that is kind of the range is six to seven dates a day beyond 36 weeks to help with cervical ripening. And next up, my second favorite way, again, probably should have been number two, is red raspberry leaf tea. And I feel like dates and red raspberry leaf tea are probably the two most popular ones that you hear about. But red raspberry leaf tea may help to tone and strengthen the uterus in preparation for labor. This has been kind of hard to prove scientifically, but it's kind of like, you know, why not do it? Tea is great for you. Red raspberry leaf tea is great for you. There's really no harm in this. There's not, you know, sugar in it or anything like that. It's simply just tea. So recommendations are about one to two cups a day throughout the entire third trimester. And as you get further along in the third trimester, I know many people will ramp that up and more so be doing like around four cups a day. The best way that I have found to do this and make it easy is honestly to steep about two handfuls of dried red raspberry leaf tea and put it in a quart of cold water, let it steep completely overnight, and then strain it the next morning. That way you have a whole quart of it and you can just kind of drink it throughout the day. Anything left over, you can just store in the fridge after it has been steeped. Frontier Co-op is my favorite place to send people to buy red raspberry leaf tea. There are so many red raspberry leaf teas on Amazon as well. You really can get it from anywhere. I just think it's more cost effective to actually just buy the like bulk dried herb red raspberry leaf tea than those single little packets that you just put in warm water because you're going to realize you're going through so much red raspberry leaf tea and those single packets are probably not the most cost effective way to do it, especially when you're drinking it throughout your whole third trimester. But if you can afford it and that's just kind of what is easiest for you, go right ahead. It does not really matter necessarily the kind. Obviously make sure it's good quality. I recommend organic if you can afford to splurge a little bit more on that, but just make sure it is red raspberry leaf tea. 
Number nine is evening primrose oil. Many midwives will suggest this for pregnant patients since this herb can help the cervix to kind of thin and dilate and prep for labor. You can take it as capsules during the last week of pregnancy and insert them either orally or vaginally, I believe, but definitely this is something that you want to talk to your practitioner about before trying evening, evening primrose oil. Also, women with placenta previa should definitely stay away from using evening primrose oil. The other thing to note is it can cause a discharge. So if you use it and then feel like, oh, maybe you're leaking fluid or something like that, of course, always call your practitioner. But something to keep in mind is anything that you put in vaginally can leak back out. And if you feel like you're leaking fluid, don't automatically freak out and think it's your water broken. Call your practitioner. Go get checked out by the office. But just note that the evening primrose oil can kind of leak back out. Number 10 is castor oil. And I know that this is also a very popular natural labor induction, but it is important to note that castor oil is a laxative. So use it at your own risk. But a lot of people say drinking one to two, I've heard all the way up to four ounces of castor oil can help to stimulate prostaglandins to release which can help ripen the cervix and get labor started. Please do this under the supervision of a midwife or doctor as well. And be careful not to drink too much of it because it can cause vomiting and diarrhea. Trust me, it can cause some very bad vomiting and diarrhea. We see it at the hospital very frequently of people who try to induce labor with castor oil and come in with vomiting and diarrhea and no labor. But personally, I think I would steer clear of this and honestly, more so keep it in my back pocket as like a end all be all like I got to get labor going and this is what I have to to use this is kind of like the last trick to pull out of my pocket but if you want to try a spoonful or you know a few ounces talk with your practitioner first there are many recipes you can find because a lot of people say it's disgusting and it tastes really bad so I have heard of some people using chocolate ice cream in a blender with a few bananas and you know one to four ounces of castor oil whatever is recommended to them by their practitioner and they, you will always, most likely at least, from what I've heard, you will always get a little bit of GI upset and diarrhea from the castor oil. It's kind of inevitable. It's something that you just sign up for when you're trying to get labor going and this is the method that you choose to use. But there are definitely recipes, like you don't just have to take it, you know, straight back like a shot. You can put it in things, normally it shakes um, with a lot of stuff to mask the flavor, which I would definitely recommend doing if this is a method that you choose. Number 11 is black cohosh. This has been associated with fetal heart failure and stroke as well as maternal complications during labor. I definitely do not recommend this. It, there's just not much evidence on it being effective for labor induction, so I'm really not going to talk about it. That's really the only thing I have to say about it. And Next up is membrane sweeping. If you want to know more about membrane sweeping, go listen to episode 46 of the podcast. But membrane sweeping is done by your OB or your midwife. Starting about a week before your due date is normally when they will do it. And they basically, you have to be about one to two centimeters dilated because they have to get their finger through the cervical opening. And then they sweep in a clockwise motion around the inside of the cervix to help separate the lower part of your membranes from the uterine wall. This can be extremely uncomfortable for some women. And like I said, your cervix has to be one to two centimeters dilated, but it can also work very well. There is a small risk that your water could be broken during a membrane sweep. So that's definitely something to always keep in mind when you are having it done. Another thing is to always consent for this. So basically what I'm saying is if a practitioner goes to check your cervix, let's say you're 39 weeks and they're like, let's just see how dilated you are. Make sure that you say, are you going to sweep my membranes? Because sometimes 
a lot of them will just assume it's a part of what they're allowed to do when they do a cervical check and that is not true so i'm a very big advocate for just like making sure that you know if your practitioner is going to sweep your membranes or not because if you don't want it done then make sure if you allow them to check your cervix you are telling them that you do not want your membranes sweeped and the last way for labor induction is to relax, to meditate, and to trust your body. Honestly, a lot of times labor will come when you stop trying to force it to come and labor will come when you are not thinking about it, when you are just relaxed and when you finally just learn to trust your body. So I highly recommend, yes, try these things. Of course, especially if you're facing a medical induction that you really want to avoid and your practitioner okays you to use these methods, they're all super low cost, low intervention. I mean, I think membrane sweeping is the one with the most intervention because you actually require a provider to do something to you, whereas the rest of them is mainly just ingesting or using different herbs, different foods to try to induce labor. But like I said, relax, meditate, trust your body, pray, and labor really will come when it needs to. Your body and your baby most of the time know exactly when it needs to come. And I think that there is just huge press to have your baby by your due date or on your due date. And I just want to normalize going past your due date when you know when there's not a medical indication to be induced it is normal to go past your due date so don't do not let somebody when you are you know 40 weeks and five days say well we got to schedule you for a medical induction because you are past your due date and you know all these risks increase when you go past your due date that's not necessarily true when you're 40 weeks and five days. It is proven that most women, I believe it's somewhere around 93% of women go into labor by 41 weeks and three days. So if you haven't hit that date yet, don't freak out. Don't think that your body is never going to go into labor and that your body just doesn't know what it's doing because that is not true. So relax, meditate, trust your body. Labor will come exactly when it needs to and exactly when your baby is ready to be born. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, a little bit of an updated version of my How to Induce Labor podcast. I think that's been one of my most fun podcasts to record. I just love talking about this stuff. I think it's really cool. And it's probably also one of the most popular and listened to episodes. So I do plan on updating a couple other episodes that I've recorded, especially my ones on the hepatitis B vaccine, erythromycin, ointment, and vitamin K injection, which are the three injections, shots, things given to your newborn at birth in a hospital setting. I do want to update those because there's definitely more evidence that's came out. I've also definitely grown as a podcaster and I don't know, like researcher, you could say. Um, So there's other stuff that I just want to touch on and include in those as well. But thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.